0: Come with me to Galatians chapter 3 as we continue to work through the book of Galatians. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 25 this morning of Galatians 3, not quite finishing up that chapter. We'll be looking at the idea of the purpose of the law, which is very important for our understanding of the gospel. And so as we do that, or before we do that, let's go to the Lord again and ask for His help with this prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to You this morning, we come to You as people who want to know the truth. We want to hear the truth from You. We want to understand and be taught by You. But we also so easily are enticed by the things of this world and we easily get them intertwined with the things that you're teaching us. And so, Lord, we pray this morning that as we come before you, that we as we open your word, that you would help us to understand that you would untangle the truth, as it were, from the lies that we believe, that we would sit at submission to sit at your feet as you teach us, that we would learn, that we would be changed by your word. pray this in your holy name. Amen. So as I read through this text, it made me think of one of my jobs at the school. One of my jobs at the school is that I run detention. If you could believe that, that they would choose me to do such a thing. I actually don't really like running detention, but it's something that I... Apparently, they think that I might be good at. Uh, detention can be used for lots of different things. It's used primarily at f- our school for, for students who have a hard time getting to class on time. And it's not just a one thing, Tom. It's like a repeated have a hard time getting to class on time. They've racked up, in order to come to my class for detention after school, you have racked up more than five tardies for the semester, which is, you know, pretty pretty intense i think i might have had less than that my entire time in high school um, and so these are people who are usually struggling to get to class and it's typically not on accident uh, and again it may not sound like much but for the vast majority of our students that five minutes that we give them to get from one class to the next is plenty for them to do that it's more than sufficient in fact, only a small percentage of our students only are ever get detention at all. It's a very small percent. And even a smaller percent of that small percent, and so we're talking like a handful of students, like less than ten, get detention a whole lot more. This whole new level. If the school is a canvas for a handful, being tardy is like their paintbrush. That they paint great works of art. Detention is their art gallery. That they display their wares to the world. In a given year, this year in particular, that small group of, that small group of less than 10 has been assigned more than half of the total detentions that we assign, assign to all students. For those 10 students, do they know better? Do they know that they ought to be on time for school? for class, Of course they do. We always wonder that kind of thing, right? It is not just detention, but anytime someone does wrong, we always wonder, is it because they haven't been taught? Have they not been taught that being late is not good? Is it because our punishments? Is it because detention is flawed and that we should come up with a better way to deal with that? Nope. It's none of those things. No matter how you word the law... There's always going to be a small group of people that break it. If we gave them seven minutes to get from one class to the next, those percentages would be the exact same. They'd be the exact same. That small group would still exist. Why? You can translate it to being late for class, or you can translate it to crime, or anything that exists. It's because of sin. Whether it's tardies for school, speeding tickets, armed robbery, if there 's a law that exists, there are people that are seeking to break it, as the scripture tells us not only the law not only shows us sin but it even has a way of drawing that sin out. Paul deals with this in this in our passage in Galatians, which is in my mind the best in the New Testament. This particular passage we 're going to be dealing with is the best. In the New Testament and understanding the purpose of the law. That isn't to say that there aren't other passages. There definitely are, but I think in this particular passage, Paul's description is very helpful. Not only does it show us the purpose of the law, but it also points us directly to the Savior, which is the whole point, because the law can't save us. And so that brings us to the three points I want to bring out. First of all, the law is able to reveal. Second, the law is able to teach. And third, the law is unable to save. And so with that, let's look together at the text. Galatians chapter 3, starting at verse 19. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Galatians chapter 3, starting at verse 19. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. Until the offspring should come... So that the promise, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So a little bit of context here. In our text last week, we read about the inheritance that we have in Christ, that how in Christ we are able to share in those terms of the covenant of grace. He secured our inheritance by following the terms Something that the law, of course, could never do because we're unable to follow that law. We also know that God was careful to give us the law and that he demanded that the Jews follow it. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He followed it. So then that question that Paul asked, the question at the beginning of our text today, why then the law, right? I mean, if... What purpose does it serve? If it's not there to save us, why do we even need it? What is the purpose behind it? The scriptures teach us three uses of the law, and theologians, particularly Reformed theologians over the years, have written about it quite a bit. If you just search three uses of the law, you can find all sorts of good things. John Calvin, in particular, was the one that kind of codified it, brought everything together in uh, our understanding of that. And the first use is to show us our sin, our need of a savior. The second use to restrain evil, though obviously this doesn't overcome man's depravity. And then the third to show the believer how they ought to live as joint heirs with Jesus. Galatians gets into all three for sure. We'll be looking at the third use more as we get into the latter part of the book but in our text today we're going to be primarily dealing with the first use of the law the law can only do what it was made to do that's all it can do which is Paul's whole argument here the Judaizers they were attempting to make the law do something that it couldn't possibly do which was to make someone righteous before God it was unable to do that we're going to see that it actually only does the opposite. It exposes our need for a Savior. And that brings us to the first point, the law is able to reveal. Look with me again at verse 19. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made and was put in place through angels by an intermediary. So Paul asks the question that 15 through 18 brings out. If the inheritance can't be gained by the law, then why even have it in the first place? Why do we need it at all? Why not just have the promise come and all the grace that's associated with it, why not just have that come too and just leave out the whole law thing? It would definitely make other lives a lot easier. And his answer may seem a bit unhelpful here were it not for the context that surrounds it, but we get a small picture in verse 19 by itself. Why was the law added? It was added because of transgressions. That is to say, the law was added in order to give our sin some definition. Right? In order to define this is what sin is. Right? It's breaking this law. Paul gives an example of this in Romans 7. I think it's probably the best example that we see in the scriptures. Paul says, I would not have known what it is to covet had not the law said, you shall not covet. This speaks of that first use of the law that we mentioned earlier to say that the law kind of acts as a a mirror for us in a way. When we look at the perfect law of God, we see our own imperfections in it. When we look take a close look at the Ten Commandments, for, for instance, a very quick summary of the law, Very easy summary for us because we need easy summaries. We see that we have broken every single one of them. Every one of them. Jesus demonstrates this as he preaches the Sermon on the Mount. As he walks through several of the commandments showing the people their hearts concerning each one of them. That they're all murderers. They're all idolaters. They're all adulterers. All of those things. He shows them that. The law isn't a a, a way for us at all to see how good we are, for us to measure ourselves versus some other people or something like that. It's quite the contrary. It's to show us how bad we are, to show us our own depravity. I recently threw out some old white t-shirts and replaced them with new white t-shirts, Emily had been saying for some time that they needed to be replaced, but I wasn't really convinced of that because, to me, they seemed just fine. I was still able to wear them, for instance. They weren't falling off of me. There weren't very many holes. And no, you don't ever see the hole because I usually wear a white T-shirt under something else, right? And they seemed fine to me. They seemed like they were white T-shirts to me until she brought some new ones home. And then I compared them to my old Gray shirts. They were gray and dingy, and they needed to be thrown out into my wood shop to later be used as something to put finish on wood. Uh, It wasn't until I saw these brand new perfect shirts that I saw how imperfect and old and gray those old shirts had become. And this law was given through a mediator or an intermediary, as the ESV says, and the last part of 19 kind of explains this. It talks about, well, it just says, to him the promise had been made and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. And there's this odd bit about angels here. Several scripture verses actually confirm this. There are several places in the New Testament and Old, Old Testament that you can go to that confirm this very thing, that angels brought the law down for some Reason There's no real explanation why the angels were involved in this process. They were just there, and so we're going to leave it there and deal with other things. Uh, the mediator here is probably referring to Moses, at least initially. But the point, again, isn't to point to Moses or any other mediator of the covenant between God and man. It's to point to the fact that God didn't need that. He didn't need an intermediary which is exactly what 20 tells us now an intermediary implies more than one but God is one God is one remember in Genesis 17 when the covenant was being set up and Abraham was cutting the animals up right and setting them in two different places Abraham went to sleep over here he wasn't even involved in the ratification of that covenant God went through himself Fulfilling both ends of the covenantal agreement, it pointed forward to the offspring that we see mentioned in 19, or the seed, right? That was that was has been alluded to several places in Galatians 3. Now, the law was to last until the offspring came, so that when Jesus came, much of the law was fulfilled. The ceremonial law. Concerning the worship practices of the nation of Israel, the civil law concerning Israel as a nation during that particular time. All of these things were fulfilled in Christ, leaving the moral law still there to expose our sinfulness, to expose our hearts, to show us our need for a Savior. It may, in many ways, it may seem like the Savior and the law are at odds with one another, right? Right? It may seem like, well, there's this law that was kind of reigning for a time and then the Savior came in and took over the law, kind of like what we've been dealing with in Judges, right? The law is kind of made to look like the bad guy here, particularly as we've been working through this. It may, and, and, you know, Paul's preaching against the law is used for salvation, it may seem like the law of God is bad. Jesus came to make things good. Nothing could be further from the truth. And that's where exactly where Paul goes next. Look with me at verses 21 to 23. And he asked the same question that just came up with us, right? Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promised the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So here the purpose of the law is further brought out. Not only does it expose our sin our sinfulness, but it also, like the text says, entraps us or Im- imprisons us. And the idea here is that because the law is showing us our sin, it is also demonstrating to us our inability to make it right. In, in a way, when it shows me that sin, I am imprisoned. I'm trapped, as it were. Realizing our sin, also realizing our need of relief from it, right? Well, I need, I have this sin, I need relief from it. And it should point me directly to the one who can give me relief, our Savior Jesus Christ, which is exactly what we see in 22. So the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. The little G God presented by so many today is not a God that would do this kind of thing, right? Right? Give us something that would entrap us to show us our need of Him. Rather, He's a happy-go-lucky God who accepts people just as they are. And if that's the case, that you're accepted just as you are, then there's no mirror. There's no need for a mirror. There's no need to examine yourself at all because God accepts you just the way you are. There's no prison. There's freedom in your sinfulness, in fact. There's freedom for you to express your sinfulness. That's exactly what we're encouraged to do if you listen to a lot of people. We're already free. And if I'm already free, then I don't need a Savior. At best, I just need someone who can help me when I feel bad. Maybe he'll show up and hold my hand and help me get through the difficult times. Or maybe he he can run around kind of like a cosmic superman putting out fires that some other big bad guys put in place. Right? And we can work together, me and my Savior, hand in hand, to make the world a better place. My goodness, his goodness combined. Friends, that's not the God of the Bible. It's a lie. And like most lies, it's designed to make people feel better while something bad is actually happening. The law of God is a mirror into our souls. It shows us not only our actual transgressions, but it proves to us over and over that without Jesus, every intention of our hearts are only evil continually. We need a Savior. Jesus is the only Savior. But the law also teaches us as a way to prepare us for the life that we're going to have in Christ. And that brings me to the next point, the law is able to teach. Look with me again at verse 24. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified By faith. So before we have faith in Christ. We were held captive. By the law. Not only our inability to save ourselves. But because the law was our guardian. Or teacher. Would also work here. The term guardian here. Is literally the Greek term pedagogue. Which is a word that is still loosely used today. It's the kind of. It's kind of a teacher, in which in Paul's day was a house servant. And the purpose of the pedagogue was to teach the young child right from wrong. And not just teach them, but in a very strict way, correct them, helping them to understand right from wrong, even in the most minute ways. If they stepped out of line, in the least bit, they were corrected harshly. If the rule was, be seated, going back to the tardy thing, be seated when the, bell, when the bell rings or you're tardy, the pedagogue would have given you a tardy if you were standing beside your desk when the bell rang. And not only giving you a tardy, they would have slapped your wrist, probably. It was that sort of thing in the Roman home. Their job wasn't to educate the child at all. They weren't even able to do that. But they were a constant presence, an overwhelming presence when it came to their behavior. So over time, what would the child do? They would mold themselves to the pedagogue's demands. They would many times even form very close bonds with their pedagogue. The pedagogue prepared them for a day when they would walk out into the real world and be a productive citizen of their country. So for us, not only does the law condemn us, showing us our sin and our need for a savior, but it also shows us then how we ought to live, which is not a bad thing. And there's, but there's still no hope in it. The Roman Empire might accept the fact that a man was fine after they had spent time under a pedagogue. Well, he's, he's fit for society now. But understand that a perfect God does not. God demands perfection 100%. And all of our sins will be stacked against us, every single one of them. Knowing that there is a good thing out there that I should be doing and still struggling to do the right thing doesn't make our situation any better. And still, it only really further condemns us under its weight. The law not only shows us our sin, but it shows us what is right, what is necessary, the thing that we can't quite get to. So when a person asks, well... Will a just God ever accept any of our efforts? What if we try really hard? What if we do our best? Isn't that enough? Doesn't that even matter? It only matters in that now you know what you ought to be doing, but what you still can't do. We're still going to struggle. It's why I don't feel sorry for someone when they come into the to detention because they've racked up lots of tardies by that point. It wasn't just a single slip-up that got them there. They were very much on purpose in their choice to come and see me for detention. You can only imagine I see the same people all the time. And it wasn't, again, it's not just a single little whoops, I tried really hard, sorry about that. It's lots of things. It's lots of times late. It's lots of times fill in the blank with whatever sin it is that we're struggling with we're not only doing wrong but we're deliberately not doing right in this way the law is able to do several things it's able to show us what's right but it's not able to save us at all it's only able to point us to the one who can and this is why we can preach the merit of the law right it's good, it's right But what must we always preach along with it? Christ. There's only one Savior. And that brings us to the next point. The law is unable to save. Look at verse 25. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So what is the implication here? Now that we have faith, now that we have been given the gift of faith, as we talked to I mean, as we repeated in the Heidelberg today, who gives us faith, well, it's the Holy Spirit that works it in us, right? Now that we've been given this gift of faith, we are no longer under a guardian. The things that the law was able to do, show us our sin, condemn us because of it, those things are now gone. We are no longer held captive by the law, brothers and sisters in Christ. We are no longer slapped on our wrists for the smallest of infractions. We are free. We are no longer imprisoned. We just sang about, did we not? My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth and followed thee. Another hymn says this, to see the law by Christ fulfilled To hear his pardoning voice changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. So how does that change the way that we see the law, brothers and sisters in Christ? It changes it from a prison to a garden. It changes it from a list that condemns into good works prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. In Christ, we are judged according to righteousness. But it's not ours. It's His. And our Lord Jesus never needed a pedagogue to slap Him on the wrist because He never sinned. There's not one that could stand guardian over Him. He was never imprisoned by the law because He followed it perfectly. The law no longer condemns us, brothers and sisters in Christ. Instead, it welcomes us. We no longer bear its weight. Instead, it can be used to glorify our Savior in heaven. So then what can we do? We can rest. We're no longer in prison. We're no longer under a guardian. Rest in Jesus Christ. But hear this, those of you who do not believe, if you're not in Jesus, both of those things still apply. The law is a very hard teacher correcting the smallest of infractions. It serves as a mirror that you'll never measure up to. It doesn't show you how good you are. It shows you how bad you are compared to Him. And at the end of your days, you'll have every one of your sins counted against you. And the score will be 0%. There's no amount of righteousness that can save you. And you'll face a just God and you'll get your just punishment. Instead of relying upon your own merit, rely upon the merit of Christ. Trust in Jesus. Look at verse 22. This is the call to you, those who don't believe, but the Scripture in prison, everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. The promises given to those who believe, believe in Jesus Christ today, claim the promises of God, call upon the name of Jesus and be saved. Brothers and sisters in Christ, in conclusion, consider a moment then what we have. Not only do we have a freedom that we could never have imagined, we also have the honor then of taking that message out to a lost world, of giving that hope, of giving that freedom. Those chains that fell off of us, are the same ones that imprison a lost world. And we have been given the only possible message of freedom. There's no other message out there. So let us be a people who not only rest in that message ourselves, but also give it freely to a lost world. Let us teach them about Jesus. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, our chains have fallen off. We are now free. Lord, help us to go forth and to follow thee. Help us to stop longing for those chains in that prison. Help us to find rest and rest in you alone. May we be ambassadors of this truth. May people see Jesus, not only in how we live, but in the words that we say. And we pray this in your holy name. Amen.